Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. For those of you that haven't been here, I have been teaching on the fear of God all week long. And I tell you, I think it's been powerful. And I think that it's a timely word, not only for every individual, but for us as a culture. And I believe that this is something that uh, is really important. It could change people's lives. So I'd like to encourage you. We have uh, the four previous services already duplicated out here on DVD and CDs. Tonight's will be available within five or ten minutes after the service. And I encourage you to get this series and go back over it. This is the kind of thing you don't hear very often, sad to say, from preachers. And um, I think it would be something that you need to go over. Plus, it's a great way to share it with other people. You know, we've had up to a thousand people watching by Internet at every service. And so, praise God, we've reached a few thousand people with this, but it needs to go all around the world. Eventually, I'll be putting this on television and sharing it with people. And people just need to hear about the fear of God and putting God first, honoring Him above everything else. And I tell you, I think it's really, really good. Let's turn over to the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 12, verse 13. I'm kind of in a bind tonight because there's so much left. I had 10 pages of scriptures, nothing but scriptures, single spaced about the fear of God. And I've covered nearly three. And so where do you go from here? How do you summarize? I've only got this session left. And so, you know, I just am in a bind about what to share tonight. But this is what uh, Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a hard book to understand. It's one of my least favorite books in the Bible. And by that, I don't doubt that it's scripture. But I think that the reason it's so hard is because Solomon, as he talks about in here, he was the wisest man on the face of the earth, and that came just by revelation. God gave it to him because he put first God. He humbled himself and wanted to be able to be a good ruler. And because he didn't ask for riches or wisdom or, or the life of his enemies, God gave him all these other things. And he had this supernatural wisdom from God. And he started out good and served God for many years, but then he got away from his own teaching. You know, I write footnotes on the Bible. And I was recently studying the book of Proverbs and it was just saying these profound, really good things that Solomon wrote. And one of the footnotes that I wrote is Solomon would have done well to pay attention to his own proverb (laughs) because it was about putting God first. And yet Solomon in the end of his life decided that he would just figure out things on his own. And it says he gave himself the pleasure. He was the richest man on the face of the earth. They threw silver on the streets like a rock. Silver wasn't even accounted for anything in his day. And Solomon was just filthy, stinking, dirty, rich. And he gave himself the pleasure like nobody else on the face of the earth could. He began to start multiplying wives to himself, which the Lord told him not to do. It was a command. Do not have multiple wives because they will turn your heart away from the Lord. He told them not to get a lot of horses because that would draw them back to Egypt, which was where the source of all of the horses came from in those days. Solomon had hundreds and hundreds of different stables scattered all over the country. And he began to indulge every whim and every desire that he had. 
And he said he gave himself to myrrh so that he could find out what there was in pleasure. He gave himself to drunkenness. He began to start being drunk. He just indulged every sense that he had. And then he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And the book of Ecclesiastes is one of the biggest downers in the entire Bible. And I believe that the only reason that you can really interpret it and make it sense out of it is it is the results of carnal ability, human mankind trying to find wisdom, joy, peace without God. And it starts off vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Thus saith the preacher. There's no purpose in doing anything. You work and you do all of this and you die and leave it to somebody who doesn't even appreciate what you've done. And it is just negative, negative, negative. And I believe the reason it's included in the Bible is to show you the, the fruit of trying to do things your own way apart from God. And so it has benefit and it is scripture, but you've got to interpret it in that light that it is what not to do. It's telling about the vanity of just trying to do things on your own. But finally, after he had done 12 chapters of this and talked about how terrible everything in life is and there's no point to anything. You work hard, do all of this, die anyway. That's basically what he said. Here's the summary of the entire book. You could take this verse and this is basically what Ecclesiastes is about. In verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. You can condense Ecclesiastes down to that nearly. Man, fear God and keep his commandments. That is the whole duty of man. That is a profound statement. You know, if you feared God, as I've been talking about this week, to where it's to reverence God, to honor God, to put God ahead of everything, to desire his approval instead of men's approval, to, to seek him. There's another scripture, I don't have this written down, but it talks, it uses the term seeking God and fearing God interchangeably. It's talking about just putting God first and seeking first the kingdom of God. If you did that and operated in the scripture, that is the whole duty of man is just to fear God and keep his commandments. That's the conclusion of everything. That's a pretty profound statement right there. Look over in the book of Proverbs chapter two. I'm just sharing a couple of these and then I've got, I'm going to share with you some things that God did specifically in my life to teach me the fear of God. I'm still learning it, but some major things that he did in Proverbs chapter two, it says in verse one, my son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide thy commandments with thee so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures. Before I read the rest of this, let me just say that this is powerful what he's saying. And some people think it's so hard to find the things of God. And that's because people aren't seeking with all of their heart. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 is a very familiar passage of scripture. It says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. And then the next verse in verse 12, and it says, would you put that up there so I don't have to turn over there, Lori? It says, then shall ye call upon me and ye shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you 
and you shall seek me and you shall find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. You have to seek with all of your heart. And there's people that say, God, would you please move in my life? I've got five minutes before my favorite soap opera comes on. And if you can change my life in the next five minutes, have at it. That's not seeking with all of your heart. It's like I was teaching this morning. You got to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. You got to get to the place that I just refuse to live this way. And you've got to seek with all of your heart. That's what this is describing, that you have to seek after the Lord and after wisdom and understanding the way that men seek after silver and after gold. You know, we live in the mountains of Colorado and we drive through these, we take Jeep trails and we go up on places that most people have never seen. We take dirt roads over 13 and 14,000 foot high mountains and into places that very few people ever see. It is just beautiful. It's awesome up there. And I am constantly amazed at how in the world or why did people put roads in these inaccessible places? And I mean, sometimes it's a thousand foot straight drop. There's like a cliff like this. And they just blasted a little road out and you're going on a little single track road just on these rocks with a thousand foot straight drop off on these cliffs and things like that. And you wonder why in the world, how did they get these up there? And every one of those roads was put in by people who were hunting for gold and silver. And they would do things. We've read stories about how they would ride uh, horses and wagons up there and they'd fall off. They'd lose these animals. And it was, it was, it was amazingly difficult and hard. And I mean, in the winter Their horses would be up to their neck in snow and they'd just have to leave them and they'd just die there and they'd leave horses and all these things. Why would people do this? The extremes to which people went looking for silver and gold. And this is what this is saying, that you have to get that committed to finding God. When you get to where you seek with all of your heart, then you will find. I've had people before say, well, I've asked, I've sought, and it didn't work for me. All I can say is you didn't do it with all of your heart because there are an abundance of scriptures that talk about this. And this is what these verses are talking about, that you shall, um, if you seek for her as silver and searches for her as for a hid treasure, treasure, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom. And the whole book of Proverbs is all about this. And basically, the fear of the Lord, which is to honor God and to reverence God, is something that comes from God. But you have to seek it. You have to desire these things. You have to put God first. And if you put God first, there are just hundreds, thousands of scriptures that talks about how he will instill the fear of God in you how that this will be the byproduct of it. But you can't receive from God while you're over here seeking after all of these things in the world. It takes effort to put God first. And in a sense, I'm preaching to the choir because you're the group that are here on Saturday night listening to me minister. You're the fanatics. And you are seeking after the things of God. And because of it, you know, that's one of the reasons that during praise and worship tonight, people were just worshiping God. And I mean, spontaneously doing things because you know what? You've been putting God first and it makes a difference in your life. 
And the more you put God first, the more emphasis you put on God in your life, the greater benefits you get from it. And many people are just missing out on what God has for them because they are not putting Him first in their life. Look over in Psalms chapter 34. And these verses talk about how you can teach the fear of the Lord. It's not something that just has to come out of the blue. It's something that you can teach yourself. You can educate yourself in this. You know, you can't just pray to be able to read. I guess that that can happen. I've heard stories of people just supernaturally getting it. I know some people that just have a supernatural knack for languages. And I mean, in a year's time, they can be fluent in a language, but there still is a learning curve. You have to teach yourself. You have to do things. And the fear of the Lord and the revelation and all of these things, it's something that you can teach yourself is what it talks about here in Psalms chapter 34. Look in verse 7. It says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. This is one of the benefits of fearing the Lord, reverencing God. Putting him first. Getting to a place that you won't compromise, but God is absolute first in your life. When you do that, the Lord encamps round about you and delivers you. Man, I could give you a hundred or a thousand testimonies of God supernaturally delivering me when I don't deserve to be delivered, when I did things that were wrong. And God still delivers me. Boy, God will just bless you. We've, we've been talking at our ministry. It's just like God is blessing us hand over fist. We're just, we can't turn around without something supernatural happening. And God is just blessing us. It's just our time. And you know what? We were discussing this and talking about it. And people were saying, well, what have you done? And I said, honestly, I hadn't done anything except hold on to Jesus with all I've got. And he's taken me for the ride of my life. The only thing I've done is fear the Lord and God encamps round about me and he just blesses me. I can't take credit for anything. God is just supernaturally blessing us. Man, that's powerful. You can get to a place where God just makes you look good. Even when you mess up, God will make you look good. Well, that's powerful. Most people are chasing after God, trying to get him to do something. But you know what? You can get to a place where God is just round about you and you are blessed every direction that you turn. So the angel of the Lord encampeth round about those that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Again, this is using the term trust interchangeably with the fear of the Lord. In verse 9, O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. If you're wanting, you don't fear him. If you fear him, there'll be no want. When you get to where you put God first, when you honor him, when you reverence him, when it's not all about you, but it's about putting God first and doing these things, there will be no want It goes on to say in the 10th verse, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Proverbs 18, 22 says, whosoever finds a wife finds a good thing. You know what? I use this verse to find my wife. I did. I dated, I think, two different people in my life and I got sick and tired of dating. 
And I just thought, this is stupid. And I was praying and asking God, and the Lord gave me this verse with Proverbs 18, 22, that if you seek the Lord, if you fear him, you will not lack any good thing. And whosoever finds a wife finds a good thing. And I said, God, I'll never date again. You'll bring my wife to me supernaturally. And I never dated. I didn't do any of that. And God supernaturally put Jamie and me together. I mean, I, I even, the Lord spoke to me when I made this commitment. I said, I'll never date again. I'm waiting on you to bring me my wife. You brought Eve to Adam and Ruth to Boaz and you put people together. And I said, if you want me to be married, then you're going to have to bring her to me. I'm not seeking a wife. I remember one time I was asked to come to the singles group here at Calvary. And this young lady, I forget her name now, but she headed the singles group. And she says, when, when I said that I'd come, she sent me an email and she says, you make sure you're prayed up and ready because I'm sick and tired of being single. And I want a husband and I want you to come and tell us how to get a husband, how to find our mate. And so I took that email and I thought about it and prayed about it. And I turned over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and it says, If you are loose from a wife, seek not a wife. And I got up in front of the singles group here at Calvary and taught on that if you aren't married, don't seek a mate. You're commanded by God not to do it. <laughs> this woman was sitting on the front row and all of the smile left and the blood drained out of her face. And I said, that's not the way that you do it. You don't seek them. This is why so many people get in trouble. It's because they go out and they pick somebody and then they just say, all right, now let's serve God. And that person may not be in agreement with you and you cause all kinds of problems. You know, there was this guy, I forget his name right now, but the one that taught the youth, basic youth conflicts, Bill Gothard. And he had a illustration of a triangle that God was at the top of this isosceles triangle and down here at the bottom are the man and the woman. He says, most people seek each other like this, come together and get married, and then they try and seek God. He says, but if each one of you would seek God, as you get close to God, you will run smack into your mate. And that's a godly thing. And so, you know what? I just determined I wasn't seeking a mate. And I said, you're going to have to put her in my path. And I mean, God supernaturally put Jamie and me together. We were engaged to be married before we ever held hands. God told us to get married. And boy, what a blessing she's been. I don't think there's another woman on the face of the earth that would have stuck with me through everything that I've gone through. That's true. I mean, we've been through a lot of hard stuff. I was sitting around with a group of preachers one time and we were telling stories and they were talking about committing adultery and going out and getting drunk and the things that they did before they got saved and what they put their wives through. And then it was my turn and I was talking about, I've never done any of those things, but that, you know, Jamie was eight months pregnant. We went two weeks without food, forced fast. The things that we've been through, been kidnapped, threatened to be killed. We've had things happen and they, they looked at me and they said, my God says, you're, you put your wife through worse things than I ever did. <laughs> Something else. So anyway, you know, it's a wife is from the Lord. And if you fear the Lord, 
God won't withhold anything. That, that means your mate. That means if you need money, if you need wisdom, whatever it is that you need, really, there's only one thing needful. And that is that you just seek God with your whole heart. You put him first. You fear God with your whole heart and God will make things work out in your life. But on the other hand, you do things your own way and you be a self-centered person and then you try and do it all and just use God to fill in the gaps and only when you reach the end of yourself and if it's something you can't do and you're just going to live from one crisis to the next. And that's the way that most people live. Man, these are powerful scriptures here about the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any Good thing. Come ye children, hearken unto me and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. You can teach the fear of the Lord. This is not something that you just have in your genes. It either just happens or doesn't happen. It's not something that you have somebody wave their hand over you and you all of a sudden get the fear of the Lord. You have to learn this and this is what the Word of God is all about. Again, I don't have this list of all of these scriptures with me, but I have about two pages of scriptures that is nothing but but different scriptures that talk about get into the word, listen to the word. It'll teach you the fear of the Lord, etc., etc., etc. The word of God is how he instills his fear, his reverence, his trust, the reliance upon him. The word of God will change you. I've got a book entitled Effortless Change, that this is the whole point of the thing, that you just change effortlessly. If you stick your nose in the Word of God, the Word of God will change you. It will teach you the fear of the Lord. It says, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. In verse 12, what man is he that desireth life? Here he is teaching you the fear of the Lord. Here's some of the principles of the fear of the Lord. Do you want life? Do you want long life? And if do you love many days? How do you get that? Well, according to the current wisdom of the world, you have to exercise, you have to eat right, you have to get away from fatty foods, you have to do this and this and this and do all of this weirdness and spend a lot of extra money and do all of these things. This says, here's what the Word of God says, if you want uh, long life and many days... It says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. You know, I believe that you do need to exercise and you do need to eat right, but I believe that's a portion, only a portion, maybe 20, 30% of your health has to do with diet and exercise. Your words are more important than what you eat. Jesus said, it's not what enters into your belly that defiles you. It's what comes out of your belly that defiles you. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Your words are what is more important in your diet. And there are many people that just start speaking about, oh, I'm getting old. You know what? Yeah, you have, you know, I'm going to just start being like this. And you start speaking and confessing all of these things. Man, this is the fear of the Lord. This is what the Word of God says. I know that this isn't what our society says today, but that's the reason that so many people are experiencing these problems because they aren't going by the Word of God. We let the world dominate us and the world's opinions dominate us more than the Word of God does. This is what the Word says. If you want long life and length of days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. Guile is talking about hypocrisy or a lies, what it's talking about. 
Psalms chapter 15, verse 4 says, A godly man will swear to his own hurt and not change. Boy, that's a powerful, powerful statement. You know, most people today, they'll say something, and then if it works out that what you said isn't to your advantage, if somebody takes advantage of you, most people just, well, change that. If it's not written and signed with carbon copies or whatever, most people, it doesn't matter. Even if you have something in writing, if you have a good lawyer nowadays, most people will go ahead and, and wiggle out of it. But a godly person will say something and you'll, you'll stick to it, whether it's to your advantage or not. In other words, this is talking about that you can't lie. You can't misrepresent things. You need to be honest. You need to get to where if you tell somebody you'll do something, you'll do it. And there's many people say, well, oh, I'd do that. Well, you tell somebody you're going to be at their house at 7 o'clock and if you're lucky if you get there at 7.15. Somebody said, wow, you don't know the traffic here in Dallas-Fort Worth. Well, you know what? The traffic doesn't, it's not like it gets good and then bad. It's bad all the time. (laughs) And so if it's supposed to take you 30 minutes, but you suspect it might take 45 minutes, then you ought to just plan on an hour and get there early and sit outside and be ready. So that if somebody tells you to come at seven o'clock, you're there at seven. You keep your word. You know, when I pastored a church, this is one of the reasons I didn't ever have a big church. <laughs> but when I pastored a church, I taught people, I said, you need to be men of your word. If God says something, he'll do it. If God told you he'd do something, he'll do it. God never, never, never breaks his word. And so if we say that church starts at seven, you should be here at seven, not at 730 or something like that. You need to keep your word and do it. And I taught people that. And so if they came in late and they'd come in, I'd say, come on in. You're ungodly, but we love you. (laughs) Because ungodly means not like God. God, if he says he'll be someplace at a certain time, he does it. Anyway, we never had very many people come to church, but the ones that came got their own time. Amen. And you could, you could count on people keeping their word. But you know, it's a small thing in a way, but this is part of integrity. This is part of the fear of God. If you tell somebody you're going to do something, you ought to do it. If you say you're going to do something, people ought to be able to take that to the bank. They ought to be able to count on it. A godly man is a man that will watch his words and there won't be guile, hypocrisy, lies coming out of it. If you are a person who exaggerates If you take a word and make a paragraph out of it, you know what? You don't have a fear of God. If you lie, you know what you're doing? You're manipulating people. You're feeding them false information to make yourself look better, to gain some advantage. And it really, if you keep peeling back the layers, you know what lies go down, come down to that you don't trust God. You don't believe that God is enough to promote you. You've got to somehow or another misrepresent, twist, manipulate something to make it look better. You cannot just stand on truth and let it be its thing. You've got to sit there and somehow or another make yourself look better, project yourself better, somehow or another manipulate the situation. It comes down to unbelief and the fact that you aren't trusting God. You aren't honoring God. 
That's what it really boils down to. That's what lies are all about. If you're a person who just constantly exaggerates, will not tell the truth. And you know, lying is more than just telling something that is untrue. Lying is sometimes withholding information. You can, the scripture doesn't say you shall not lie. It says you shall not bear false witness. There's a difference. You know, you can sit there and say something. Politicians do this constantly. Politicians will quote some statistic and tell you something, but they aren't giving you the whole picture. They aren't telling you how they got that. They aren't telling you that when they do these polls, they poll people in New York and California, New York City and Los Angeles, which isn't America. Thank you. God bless you. I kind of have that reaction myself sometimes. (laughs) But you know what? That's not America. But they poll these places and say, this is the way that America thinks. And that's not the way that America thinks. And they will use these polls to manipulate and say things. And you know what? It may not be a lie, but it is false witness. It is not presenting the truth. You can sit there and manipulate facts. There was a preacher in Colorado Springs. We were just talking about this and he used to tell people that he took the exact same salary. This is pastor of a big church, mega church, 12,000 people. That he took the exact same salary as the the, uh, secretary, as the janitor, as the person that parked cars. Everybody had exactly the same salary that there was nobody who was ahead of another person in the church. And you know what? That was true in one sense that there was a base salary that was the same. But what he missed telling them was that he got two cars given to him. He had a housing allowance. He had bonuses. He had performance things. He had this and that. And he got 10 times as much as some of the other people who had the same base salary. But yet he took a fact and presented it and gave a false representation and left a false impression with people. And it was wrong. That's bearing false witness. That's not integrity. That is not fearing God. That is misrepresenting things and presenting things in a way that isn't accurate. You know what? That's not the fear of God. The fear of God is a person who will swear to his own hurt and not change. He will say something and when he says something, it's the truth. You don't ever have to wonder what that person believes. That's integrity. So it says here in verse... Uh, 13, keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. This is the fear of the Lord. He's teaching the fear of the Lord. You depart from evil and do good. You seek peace and pursue it. All of these things are things that concern the fear of the Lord. Let's turn over to Jeremiah chapter one. And what I want to do with you tonight, again, like I said, there's just so much to share that I don't know where to go. I just want to share kind of a testimony with you that when I was, um, when I got turned on to the Lord, it was March the 23rd, 1968. I had this encounter with God that just literally transformed my life. It was in the pastor's study of University Baptist Church in Arlington, Texas, 12 o'clock midnight on March the 23rd, Saturday night. And God just showed up. And anyway, it's a very long story, but it revolutionized my life and turned me around. 
And God began to start speaking some things to me. He told me to quit school, which, uh, you know, this is part of fearing the Lord. You just put God ahead of everything. There was all kinds of reasons why I shouldn't have done that. I was getting $350 a month from the government if I stayed in school. I had the acceptance of my mother, my family, and people around me as long as I did these things. I had a student deferment from the draft. And yet God spoke to me and told me to quit school. And so, you know what? I feared God more than I feared people. And so I did it. And sure enough, I got drafted and I got sent to Vietnam, spent 13 months in Vietnam. And when I got out of Vietnam, I was still uh, learning the fear of the Lord. And one of my big hangups was that I was an introvert. It was hard for me to look at a person and talk to them. I could do it with friends. You know, I've got some friends that are here that I uh, have known since I was a kid. And if I was friends with you and if I knew you for 10 or 15 years, then I could talk to you. And I was okay around certain people. But I remember as a senior in high school, walking down the street and a man walked by me and said, good morning. And he was two blocks down the street before I got good morning back. I just was so introverted. I couldn't talk to people. And I had all of these problems and I felt like God had called me to the ministry and I started trying to minister and it was pitiful. Some of you think it's pitiful now, but it used to be much more pitiful. It used to be really bad, amen. And uh, anyway, I was trying to minister and I started a, a Monday night Bible study and I was teaching and people were coming. But I mean, I just struggled, struggled, struggled. It was the hardest thing that I'd ever done and I was still in the Baptist church and this was in 1972 or maybe January of 1973. And um, I was still in this Baptist church, Calvary Hill Baptist church over in Mesquite, Texas. And they came up with Layman Sunday. And they asked me if I would preach on Layman Sunday. And so on the Sunday morning service, and I said, yes, because I knew God had called me to minister and I was trying and man, I had an opportunity. So I said, yes. And as soon as I said, yes, I thought, what in the world did I say yes for? Because there's like 300 people or so in this church. And I mean, for a month or two, I was absolutely petrified. How am I going to stand in front of these people and minister the word? And I just was studying the word day and night out of desperation, asking God to help me somehow or another. And Jamie and I had just gotten married. We got married on October the 27th, 1972. And we were living at the Kingsley Place Apartments over in Mesquite. And we were in there and... Uh, I remember that I, would, I was just studying the word 10, 15 hours a day and just devouring the word. And God was speaking awesome things to me, but I had trouble getting it out because I was so afraid of people. And um, so anyway, I'd been studying the word all day. Jamie had already gone to bed and I, I went in to go to bed. And back in those days, I could lay my head on the pillow and boom, I was asleep right then. I mean, it didn't take me 30 seconds to go to sleep. And I laid down and it probably was 30 minutes or 40 minutes later and I was just wide awake. And I was sleepy, but I couldn't go to sleep. And I was wondering what's going on. And I got to thinking about it and I felt like the Lord wanted me to get back up and study. So I got up and went into our, we had a one bedroom apartment and I went in there 
And I just started praying, and I mean God showed up. God came into that place. And I laid in the presence of God for hours. And uh, I don't have the right words to describe this. I wasn't afraid in the sense that I knew that God was mad at me. But if, if you've ever been in the real presence of God, I mean caught up in the presence of God, there is a holy fear I was afraid to open my eyes. I was afraid of what I'd see because God was there. And I mean, I spent hour after hour just laying there in the presence of the Lord. And finally, the Lord spoke to me these verses in Jeremiah chapter 1 and called me. And this changed my life forever. In Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4, it says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I am a child. For I, I mean, I cannot speak for I am a child. And you know, this is exactly the way I was feeling. I knew that God had already called me. But I said, God, I can't speak. I'm a child. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of people. You know, standing in front of a group of people like this, having a thousand people watched by the internet, I guarantee you it would have just petrified me. I would have frozen in my tracks. And this is exactly how I responded. And this, this was just, it was like we were having a conversation. Even though I was reading it out of the Bible, this was God speaking to me and Jeremiah, the way he responded is exactly the way I felt. I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I'm, I cannot speak for I am a child. And I mean, the Lord spoke back to me in a very emphatic voice. He says, uh, but the Lord said unto me, say not, I am a child. For you shall go to all that I shall send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be, ye, be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations, over the kingdoms, to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. And then that same night, the Lord spoke to me, Jeremiah 5, 14, which says, Wherefore, thus saith the Lord, Uh, God of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words and thy mouth fire and the people would, and it shall devour them. And you know what happened that night? I don't have the words to tell you, but I mean, God took the fear of man out of me and put a fear of him on the inside of me. And he gave me a boldness and I just I know that God touched my mouth. He touched my mouth that night and he put my words. He put his words in my mouth. And I know that when I speak, it's like fire and the people would and it devours them. And since that time, I have never, ever been afraid to stand in front of people and speak. And it changed my life. Prior to that time, man, I would speak and it was pitiful and I would apologize and swear to God I'd never do it again. I'd never embarrass me or him again. And yet it'd be like Jeremiah 20 says, it's like fire shut up in my bones. I couldn't forbear. I'd just have to try it again. And then it would bomb out and it was pitiful. 
And, uh, I, but I just kept going through this. After that, I mean, something happened on the inside of me. I remember standing up in front of that Baptist church. I don't know if, if any of you remember that, but I was in front of this Baptist church on Layman Sunday. Prior to that, I'd probably spoken for 10 or 20 minutes at a time. I spoke two hours. They came up and took the microphone away from me and told me to sit down and shut up. And I was still going and I've never stopped. It changed my life. But the reason I bring this out is to say that, you know what? Every person has to have an encounter with the Lord where you have God touch you, put his word in your heart and you have to turn from this fear of man. And just like those verses say, do not be afraid of their faces. Matter of fact, when I first started this, I'm getting stronger in it as time has gone along. But when I first started this, the way that I was not afraid of their faces, I would look above their heads and I actually never looked at any person. That's the way I'd keep from being afraid of their faces. It would look like I was looking at you, but I wasn't. I was looking above their heads. But I mean, I just had to do whatever I had to do to get beyond it. And the Lord commanded me not to be afraid. And he says, don't be afraid lest I confound you. If you are afraid of what people have to think, I guarantee you, you're going to wind up being confounded in front of them. And the Lord literally used these verses to help bring me out of a fear of man. And I'm still dealing with it. I mean, I don't think that God made any person to lack rejection. He made us for acceptance. And so there's something inside of every person that wants people to like you. And I don't think that you ever get to the place where you like people disliking you. If you do, something's wrong with you. I've met a few people that seem to like people disliking them and something is wrong with them. They just start, it's not right. So I don't like people disliking me, but I have gotten to a place where it's not going to stop me from doing what God tells me to do. And I just do not let other people and their opinions and stuff influence me. And that is the fear of God. It's not using that terminology right here in Jeremiah, but you know, this is exactly what God was speaking to Jeremiah when he called him to minister. He told him, do not be afraid of their faces. Basically he's saying, you need to fear me more than you fear other people. You need to put God first in your life. And this is so simple, brothers and sisters, but this is the whole thing. It's like Ecclesiastes says, this is the whole thing. Fear God, do what he says. This is the whole commandment. If you just put God first, if you were more worried about what God has to say than what any person has to say, you'd find out that you wouldn't have all of the problems that we've got. Proverbs 13, 12, uh, 10 is a verse that went right along with this. And the Lord spoke this to me just nearly at the same time as this account that I just gave you. And it says there only by pride comes contention. And most people think, what does that mean? That's pride is talking about self-centeredness, not just arrogance. That's only one manifestation of pride, but low self-esteem is pride. Timid people, which I was timid and shy is pride. If you're a timid person, you are a super, super proud person. And some of you think, man, I don't get that because we think that pride is only arrogance, but pride at its root is just thinking about yourself and fearing men. 
you want their approval more than you want God's approval. And I can tell you that this is what the problem was. I was afraid that people were going to dislike me. That somehow or another I'd say something that would make me look foolish. And it was all about me. It was all self. That's what pride is. It was just all self-focused. I actually heard a man came and heard me one time. And it was right around the same time. All kinds of things came together. And this guy heard me speak. It was right before this instance that I had. I told you about it. And he came up to me afterwards and he says, you've got some really good things to say. And he says, if you ever got to where you were more concerned about the people you ministered to than you are about yourself, you could be a blessing. And it was absolutely true. That was the whole thing. I was just thinking about myself. And that's what, it, that's what all of this is. It's just The reason we're afraid of people is because we love ourselves so much that we do not want to suffer their criticism and their rejection and we wonder about how this is going to affect me. When you get to where you love other people more than yourself, you will lay your life down to tell a person the truth. And if they reject you and if they get mad at you, you'll go ahead and run the risk because you want to give them the truth. It's the truth that's going to set them free. And if you hold back the truth because you're fearful of their rejection, you don't even give them the opportunity to receive. You reject it for them. You've got to get to a place to where you love God so much and you love other people that you are absolutely unafraid of what a person is going to say about you, what they're going to think about you. You're going to stand up and you're going to speak the truth. Let the chips fall where they may. You know, in Texas, people understand that. I say that in other places and you don't get that, but you know what I'm talking about. You just need to stand up, speak the truth, and regardless of what the consequences are, this is just what's right. You do what's right and who cares? Man, this simplifies life. I just made a decision a long time ago that God's absolute first in my life. And if God tells me something, I'm not going to sit there and debate it and wonder about, am I going to follow through because this might cost me this and it might cause this problem? And what is this person going to think? I have people come to me all the time and say, God told me. I had this one guy from Chicago come. And he made a special appointment to come sit down with me. And he says, God spoke to me in such a clear voice and told me I was supposed to come to Karis Bible College. But, and then he told me about how his parents got upset. And when they heard that he was going to do this and they took him to the pastor and asked the pastor and the pastor found out it was Andrew Womack's Bible school. And he says, that guy's of the devil. Don't do that. And he started having people tell him all of the reasons that he shouldn't come. And he was going to lose his job. He was engaged to a girl and the marriage might not go through. And he started talking about his financial problems and on and on. And he just detailed all of the things that were going on and told me about it. And he says, so what should I do? And I said, you lost me the moment you told me that God told you to do it. I said, if God told you to do it, do it. But I could lose my fiance. I said, do it. I could be kicked out of my church. Do it. My family won't understand. Do it. What am I going to eat? He says, how am I going to make it? I said, just do it. If God spoke to you, I mean, it just really simplifies everything. If God tells you to do something, do it. And if it winds up costing you your life, you die and go to be with Jesus. What a deal. Amen. And if you lose all of your friends, 
you lose all of your friends. Who cares? Amen. I know some of you think you're weird. But I think you're weird. I'm telling you that this is just normal Christianity. Nobody else has died for me. Nobody shed their blood for me but Jesus. I deserve to give him all of the honor. And if Jesus tells me to do something, I'm going to do it. If it hair lips the devil, amen. And there are some people that say, well, it's easy for you to say, but you know what? I've been walking this out and following the Lord. I've done this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And it's worked to my advantage every single time. You know, when I got called into ministry, we struggled because of my own stupidity. I didn't understand things. I was doing things wrong and we struggled, but God pulled us through. And finally, after six years or something of pastoring churches, we finally begin to start seeing success. In Childress, Texas, we had a group of 50 or 60 people. We were eating on a regular basis. It looked like we were going to live and not die. And I mean, I was so excited about everything and things were going good. And then God told me to leave all of that and go to a place called Pritchett, Colorado, which had 144 people in the town, 144 people. And it had 10 people in this church. And I left this thing with 50 or 60 people to go pastor in Pritchett, Colorado. And you know what? I mean, in the natural, with my natural mind, this made no sense whatsoever. And there wasn't a big area around there. I mean, the next closest town was Kim, Colorado with a hundred people. And then there was Springfield that might've had a thousand people in, but I mean, it was out in the middle of nowhere. And God told me to go there and I debated it for a little bit, but as soon as I knew it was God, I just went. And you know what? It looked like that that was the end of any dream that I ever had of any larger ministry because it's not a stepping stone to any place. <laughs> there was no way to use that as an, you know, a stepping stone to something better. I mean, the only way you leave Pritchett, Colorado is feet first. <laughs> and I went there fully expecting to die in Pritchett, Colorado. And yet within six months, that's what God used to start our radio ministry. That's where we incorporated our ministry. That's where everything began to open up. I mean, those people, it was just miraculous, the things that happened. We saw a man raised from the dead. We started seeing miracles happen and God just did supernatural things. I'm telling you, if you put God first and fear him and just do it, and I don't care what the consequences are, even if he doesn't deliver me from this fiery furnace, I still am not going to serve you. I will do what God told me to do. You do those kind of things and God just supernaturally blesses and the doors begin to open up. And I just can't understand how God would have led me and things would have worked out in my life without going through Pritchett, Colorado. I'm telling you, there are some of you right now that you have more instruction from God than what you're acting on because you are fearful of what if I do this? What's going to happen financially? What's going to happen to people? What are people going to think about me? What about this? How is this going to happen? Man, just don't even worry about that. Just do what God tells you to do. If God speaks to you, just get to where you honor God and it doesn't matter what the consequences are. 
Don't be afraid of people. Be afraid of God in a positive sense, in a sense that you reverence Him and put Him above anything else. And you begin to exalt God and follow Him. And I guarantee you, God is going to start encamping round about you and deliver you. Things are going to start working. And that's really all it takes. That's the whole thing. Just fear God. Put God first. What has God told you to do? Why should I be afraid of you? When God Almighty is on my side. I had a man walk up to me one time and start reading me the riot act about Jamie and the way she dressed. And you ought to get your wife in line and do this and that. And Jamie never dresses bad. She's always a blessing. She dresses modestly, always looks very nice. But what he was talking about, he was a Pentecostal and she had jewelry on and makeup. And he thought that she ought to not have any makeup and do all this stuff and and anyway, he just was reading her the riot act and talking to me. And I just stopped him right in the middle. And I said, who died and made you God? And he just stopped and looked at me and he says, what are you talking about? And I said, who gives a rip about your opinion? What right do you have to come and tell me about my wife? And he got real offended. And he said, well, how dare you talk to me that way? And I said, you didn't die for me. I said, why do I have to honor and value your opinion? You're nobody. I said, you're nobody. Amen. Some people think you can't talk to people that way, but that's the way I feel. In comparison to God, you're nobody. I love and respect you and I'm going to honor you as an individual. But if you start attacking me and coming against what God said, compared to God, you're nobody. And that's the way I deal with things. And that's the way I keep the fear of man from having influence on me is I compare you to God and compared to God, your opinion doesn't count. Amen. You know what? If you'd look at things that way, it'd make a difference. It could make a difference in your life. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, what an honor it is to have God Almighty who runs the universe, has millions of people crying out to him every second. And he comes and talks to you and tells you something. What an honor, what a privilege to have God Almighty speak directly to you and then you're going to debate about whether or not you do it. I just don't, I don't go there. If God tells me to do something, I'll do it. I might have to uh, take a bit of time to make sure it's God, not just my flesh or something like that. But if God tells me to do it, I'll do it. And I'll swear to my own hurt and not change. You know what that is? That's the fear of God. I'm not going to say something and then do something else. When we moved into the present building that we're in, it was a 110,000 square foot building and there was only 10,000 square feet that was finished out that we could use as office. The rest was warehouse. And we had to spend $3.2 million to to renovate that warehouse. And for nine months, I tried to get this construction loan. And they told me next week, next week, next week for nine months. And after nine months of them just putting us off and putting us off, they said, well, it's now been a year since we've had a a evaluation done on it and things have changed. Let's just get your property reevaluated and start the whole process over. And all I could think of is another nine months of next week, next week. And this was unacceptable. 
And so I got to pray and saying, God, what's going on? It's a long story, but the Lord reminded me that at one of our ministers' conferences, I had a prophecy come to me, and they said, you will not have to take out a loan because you have a bank. And man, when he said that, I thought, what bank do I have? And he says, that bank is your partner's. They will supply everything and you don't have to go to the world to get financing. Your partners will be your bank and you'll pay for things debt free. And so when I got that, I mean, I had been praying in tongues and saying, God, I've got to have an answer. Show me. I started praying in tongues in less than five minutes. I had that prophecy come back to me and I thought, man, that's God. So I thought about it for about like a week because at the rate money had been coming in, it, I fit, sat down and figured out that for me to come up with $3.2 million above our normal expenses would have taken me over a hundred years. <laughs> and we had people come into the Bible school and we had to have the room. And I thought, how am I going to do this? And I thought, if I commit to doing this, if I'm really godly, I'm not going to just try it. And then if it doesn't work, go get a loan or something. I mean, if I commit to doing this, this could literally kill our ministry. It could stop the thing dead in its tracks. And I prayed about it until I knew it was God. And I said, that's it. I said, if somebody comes and offers me all of the money I want tomorrow, I will not take it. God told me to do this debt free. And I made the commitment, told my staff, and that afternoon, a bank that we had put in a bid to came through and says, you don't need 3.2, we'll give you $4 million. And I said, you missed it. I said, I've already got my money and turned them down. And did you know in 14 months, we had that $3.2 million come in and paid for that thing debt free. And now... I'm in the process of building a $45 million facility and we're doing it debt free and it will get done debt free and it's going to get done quickly. Amen. And people think, how can you do it? Because I've just gotten to a place and it comes over a period of time, but where you trust God, you honor God, you reverence God. I know I've heard from God and I am not going to let the fear of man have dominance in my life. I tell you, what I've talked about this week is really important. Yes, it is. It's really important. And I think that there's very few Christians that honestly have gotten to a place that they would stand on a word from God in the face of criticism, rejection, potential damage to them, financial hurt, rejection, or whatever. And that's the precise reason that things aren't working better. As long as you have plan B or plan C, the devil is going to push you to take those things. But when you burn your bridges behind you and you just say, this is it, this is where I'm standing. I tell you, it just simplifies the Christian life. It makes it so simple. It makes it so easy. You just seek the Lord. What does he tell you? What is God telling you to do? Do it. And I mean, if it hair lips the devil, you just do it. Amen. You just do it regardless of what the consequences are. That's the fear of God. Is you just trust God. You reverence Him. He's spoken to you and you're going to do what God tells you regardless of anything else. I minister to a lot of people and I've had thousands of people come to me and I know that if this is a typical group, there are people sitting right here in this auditorium tonight that God has given you more instruction on what you're acting on. Because you have a fear of men, a fear of failure. 
and you aren't doing what God told you to do. If you didn't have any restrictions on you, if you weren't afraid of what would happen, how am I going to pay for this? What are people going to say? Or whatever. You have things in your heart that God has put there and yet you aren't acting on it because you're afraid of men. You're afraid of failure. You're afraid of the consequences. And I tell you, that paralyzes you. You need to get to a place to where God, whatever He told you to do, you are going to do it to the best of your ability. That doesn't mean that you forsake wisdom and you just go out and do things stupid. You can go to somebody and get counsel, but you never question about, am I going to do it? You might ask a question about, how do I do it? God, show me the way to do it. You may need to get some counsel, but you ought to be moving in the direction of what God has spoken unto you. Amen? And if every person in here, I believe if I believe God is speaking to every one of us. God has a purpose for every one of you. And He's not the one that's silent. God is speaking. But why would He show you step number 10 if you haven't done step number 1? Some of you are saying, God, show me how all this is going to work out and all of this and... Why would God give you all of these other details if you haven't even started moving in that direction? You know, a boat, it says in James chapter 3 that you can take a a rudder on a ship and turn this huge ship by a very small rudder. But for that to happen, that ship's got to be moving. If the ship is sitting, sitting still, you can take a boat and if it's sitting still... You can flip the rudder 360 degrees and it won't give any direction. You got to move. You got to move. And if you aren't absolutely sure, well, then you can move slow, but you got to be moving in a direction. And if you just start moving, then God can give you direction and turn you and make things work. But there's so many people that you already have a word from God. And because you don't have every detail, you won't even act on what you do know. You aren't even moving in any direction and you're wondering why God isn't giving you any direction. He bears witness and he'll show you as you begin to go. But you've got to step out. You've got to get to a place to where you aren't afraid of people, afraid of uh, finances, afraid of failure. And you just got to do it. And I could keep giving you examples after examples. I'm going to have to quit. But let me just say one last thing. January the 31st, 2002, I had the second most important encounter with the Lord that I've ever had. And I mean, God touched me and showed me that I was limiting Him and what He could do in my life because I was afraid, not necessarily of people this time, but you know what I was afraid of? We had been through so many hard times and in January 2002, we were on television, money was coming in, we were blessed, we were touching people, our ministry was doing good and I was actually comfortable and I wasn't stretched and I was just tempted to take it easy because we had struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled and finally in the last two years, things were working and I was just enjoying Uh, coasting. And the Lord told me I was limiting him by my unbelief in small thinking. And he told me in no uncertain terms that I needed to quit limiting him. Psalm 78, 41, they limited the Holy One of Israel. 
And God said, you're limiting what I can do in your life. And when I saw it, I repented. I was at a minister's conference. Bob and Joy were there. They could bear witness. And I got up the next morning and I told them what God had spoken to me. And I said, I don't know how you change all of this. But I said, I'm going to start thinking big. I'm going to start pushing myself. I'm going to get out. And there were things that God had spoken to me that I wasn't acting on because... I just didn't want to go through the pressures and all of the things involved with it. And uh, I stood up and told them. I called my staff together and I told them, I said, God told me I was limiting him and I'm thinking small. And I said, I'm taking the limits off God. I said, I'm going to start thinking big. I will see myself doing what God called me to do. And I told him, I said, I don't know how long it takes to change this image. Maybe it takes a week, a month, a year. I don't know, but I am going to change this and I will start thinking big. I am going to go for what God told me. And did you know within one week, our ministry just exploded, exploded. It took less time than I realized. And man, God has done awesome things in my life. And all of this, again, is related to the fear of man, the fear of failure, the fear of the effort that it would take and things like this. And I just had to get to a place to where, God, I'm going to honor you more than I honor myself, more than I honor my ease or anything else. And I'm going to follow what you've put in my heart. He had spoken things to me that I wasn't acting on. And I determined, praise God, I'm going to go for it. And it's my testimony that since then, that's been nine years, our ministry has increased over 10 times what it was. At that time, we were covering about 2% of the U.S. population. Now we cover over a half of the world population with our television program. We're seeing some awesome, awesome things happen. We were getting around 500 calls a month. Now we get over 35,000 calls a month. We are just seeing God change things. It is awesome what's happening. And I'm telling you, this is not just me. This is every one of us. God has a plan for every one of you. God has spoken things to you, but the fear of men, the fear of failure, the fear of the effort, the fear of all kinds of things paralyzes us and holds us back. And you've got to just reach a place to where the only fear that you have is the fear of God, the reverence of God that you are going to honor him. And if God told you to do something, just start doing it. And if you die doing it, praise God. I believe that God would be more pleased with me to go for it and fail, fall flat on my face. I believe that's more pleasing to God than me to play it safe and sit back and not do what God told me to do. Man, when it comes my turn to die and leave this world, I'm going to leave everything that God put on the inside of me on this earth. I'm not taking any of it to the grave with me, amen. I'm going to get all of the anointing out, everything that God has shown me. I'm going to try and do everything and I am not going to hold back. I'm going for it. And I encourage you to go for it. God has a purpose for every one of you. God never made a single dud ever. There's not a one of you that's a failure. There's not a one of you that's a mistake. Whether your parents knew you were coming or not. God knew. God has a plan for your life. And just like he told Jeremiah right here. Before I formed you in the womb. God had a purpose for your life. 
And it's bigger than what you're thinking. If you're thinking, well, I'm doing okay, and you know, and you're, but if everything that's going on in your life, you can look to your education, to your ability, to your wisdom, and you have done all of this on your own, you've missed God. God is going to call you to do something bigger than yourself. He's going to call you to do something that will cause you to have to depend upon him. And it will make a significant difference. God doesn't want everybody to be on television or radio or to be behind a pulpit. But he wants you to be in a position where, I mean, your life is absolutely supernatural. To where you are seeing the supernatural power of God. You go into your workplace and people get saved and delivered and healed. And revival is taking place. To where your family is experiencing the power of God. Every one of us are called to something supernatural. And I tell you, it's our fear of man, our fear of failure, our fear of everything except God that holds us back and makes us play it safe. God, you need to go for it. Amen. Man, I'd rather shoot at the stars and miss and land on the moon than shoot at nothing and hit it every time. And there's many people sitting right here that I guarantee you, it doesn't take any faith for you to live the life that you're living. Anybody could do it. A lost person could live the life that you're living because you aren't stretching yourself. And I believe that if that's so of you, then you haven't found God's will for your life. God's going to call you to something supernatural. God's going to challenge every one of you. God's got plans for every one of you. Well, you need to stir yourself up. You need to start believing for something. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Father, we love you. And Father, I believe that you have spoken something to every person, that you have a purpose, just like you told Jeremiah, before we were formed in our mother's womb, before we came forth out of the belly, you had a purpose for our life. You have already predetermined what we are supposed to do. And Father, I just pray tonight that we lose our fear of failure, fear of criticism, fear of all of the hardship and the effort. And that, Father, we have a fear of God that we reverence you. And, Father, if you have put something in our heart, whatever it is that you've been speaking to these individuals, I pray that tonight they just make a decision to push away from the dock to get away from the shore and start moving in that direction so that you can direct them and give them direction and steer their boat. But Father, I believe people are going to get away from the shore and leave the safety and the security and start doing what you've put in their heart, that the fear of God will rule and dominate us. Thank you, Jesus. We rebuke the fear of man, the fear of failure, all of these other fears. We just stand against this criticism from family. There's some of you aren't doing what God called you to do because you're afraid of what your mate will say, somebody else. I'm not saying that you ignore your mate, but you need to go ahead and move in that direction and start moving and then God will perform miracles. But you need to do what God told you to do. Thank you, Jesus. Who in here has direction from God that you aren't acting on because of whatever the reason are, whatever the reason is, you 
You know what God's told you to do, but you aren't doing it for some reason. If that's you, I want you to stand up. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance and a prayer of commitment that, praise God, we're going to start moving in that direction. If you know that God's put something in your heart and you just feel for whatever reason you can't do it, and so therefore you haven't done it, you aren't taking steps in that direction, you need to change that and you need to get to moving in the direction that God's given you. Well, there's a lot of people standing up. You know, if that's so, no wonder, no wonder you aren't fulfilled. You know, there is an actual holy dissatisfaction that goes with being out of the will of God. It's not God making you miserable, but there is just an anointing that comes on you when you do the right thing, when you're following God. And when you're outside of that, you don't have that Holy Spirit bearing witness with you. And many of you are praying for joy and peace. And the truth is you aren't ever going to have joy and peace until you start following in what God has called you to do. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for all of these people that are humbling themselves. You've put something in their heart. And Father, whatever the reason is that they haven't followed through, it's not a good reason. Regardless of what it is, I know that what you have spoken to us is more important than anything else. And I pray the fear of God upon them, that they would reverence you, honor you, trust you, rely upon you, and not lean under their own understanding. Right now, we repent of this. They've humbled themselves by standing and saying that, Father, there is instruction that you've given them they aren't acting on. So we humble ourselves. You said that if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that you will lift us up. And Father, we've humbled ourselves. Now we believe that you're lifting us up above whatever it is that's been hindering us. And we just make a commitment to move in that direction, to step out in that direction. And Father, we need help. We need miracles. We may need finances. We may need boldness. We may need wisdom. But whatever it is, we believe that as we move in that direction, that you are sending the supply, whatever it is that we need to where you told us to go. And Father, I just agree with them and speak that right now people will follow through with these commitments and that Father, we will lose the fear of man, the fear of failure and other things and that we are exalting you and fearing you honoring you above anything else. And Father, we believe that that's going to cause prosperity and victory in our life and through us to other people. We thank you in advance, Father, for miracles taking place starting right here tonight. Father, we agree and we receive it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Y'all agree? Thank you, Jesus. You know, that same thing applies for people that are watching by the video. I've had at least a half a dozen or maybe a dozen people email me about that have been watching on video this week and they've been healed. Lives have been changed. And I believe that there's people right in your home right now that you're making a decision and God is changing your life. Praise God. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. If you don't know Jesus tonight, that's the very first thing you need to do is get to know Jesus. This isn't something you can do on your own. You need to be forgiven. You need to be cleansed. You need to have God Almighty living on the inside of you. 
And then once you get born again, Jesus told his disciples not to go anywhere or do anything until they had already received power from on high. And he said, you would have power when the Holy Spirit came upon you. If there's anybody in here tonight who hasn't received the Holy Spirit, and one of the ways you can tell is that the Holy Spirit gives you this gift of speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is really, really important. This thing that I spoke about tonight, when I got into that place, I needed that $3.2 million and I couldn't get the loan. I prayed in tongues and asked God to give me an interpretation. And that's how he spoke those things to me. Speaking in tongues is a powerful, powerful way of God moving in your life. You need the gift of speaking in tongues. Is there anybody in here tonight who would say either you need to be born again or if you're already born again, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this gift of speaking in tongues. If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand. I'd like to pray with you and help you to receive. Anybody? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Here's one over here. Praise God. We've already had like a hundred people. Here's another one back here. We've already had like a hundred people receive this this week, but we don't want to miss an opportunity. Here's another one here. Anybody else? Here's one back here. Praise God. Awesome. Here's one over here. Some of you are thinking about it. Your hand's coming up slowly. This is really simple. Do you speak in tongues? If you don't, put your hand up in the air and we'll pray with you and we'll help you to speak in tongues. It's not complicated. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward and we want to pray with you and help you to receive here tonight. Come forward right now and let us pray with you, okay? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. And we've had a lot of people come and receive. Good things are happening. Praise the Lord. There's more coming forward than raised your hand or more than I saw anyway. I knew some of you were out there. Praise God. You know, lots of times people will say, well, why don't you have everybody bow their head and close their eyes so that nobody will be embarrassed? Man, you're getting the gift of the Holy Ghost. What a great honor and privilege. If I was to say, if you need a million dollars, come down here and I'll give you a million dollars. Would I have to have everybody bow their head and close their eyes before you'd receive it? Man, I'm not asking you to get the plague. I'm asking you to come and receive the Holy Spirit. This is a great honor. It's a privilege. Praise God. You know, there's still people out there that you haven't come up here. I don't know what your reason is. Maybe you didn't know what kind of service you're getting into and you didn't know that we believed in this and you've been taught against it. But you saw me on television and you came. I'm telling you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues is an absolute vital part of everything I do. My teaching, my understanding, everything about me, it comes because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you like the fruit, you're going to have to accept the root that produced it. And I know you may have doctrinal issues, but I'm just telling you that your doctrine's wrong. Amen. Speaking in tongues is of God. And you say, well, I'm not sure about that. Well, I am. 
So you ought to be down here. There's some people out there that for whatever reason hadn't come. You ought to come down here and receive. Anybody else? Praise God. Awesome. Before I can pray with you to receive the Holy Spirit, you have to be born again. Is there anybody down here who's not absolutely certain whether or not you've been born again, whether or not you're saved? Anybody? If that's you, I need to pray with you first. Anyone? Are all of you sure that you're born again? If you were to die right this moment, where would you go? I asked a man that one time and he said, well, I guess Pennsylvania. That's where everybody else in my family's buried. I'm talking about, would you go to heaven or hell? Are you absolutely certain about where you would go? Everybody here sure about that? I'm not trying to talk you out of it. You just got to be sure. Amen. Well, if you all are born again, then according to the scripture, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means God created you to fill with his Holy Spirit. You don't have to wonder, will he do it? You don't have to beg. He wants to do it. This is what he created you for. So we're just going to ask one time, one simple time for the Holy Spirit to come. We aren't going to beg. Some people will teach that you got to be holy. You can't have any sin or any problems in your life for God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. You can't get free without the Holy Spirit. If you got problems, that's not going to stop God from filling you. That makes you a prime candidate to receive the Holy Spirit. So don't let any sense of unworthiness keep you from receiving. We're just going to open up the doors of these temples. We're going to welcome the Holy Spirit and he is going to come flooding into your life. And then we've got all of these prayer ministers behind you. They're going to lay hands on you because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit is given and they're going to lay hands on you and release the power of the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And then after they lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking And take a step of faith and just start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you feel like. When I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel a thing, but I got it. And it's going to be the same. God promised he would give it to you. And you just have to take a step of faith and believe. So after they lay hands on you, I want you to start thanking God. I want you to lift your hands like this and start thanking God. Because the Bible says when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. This blesses God. It pleases him. It's a way of you just saying you surrender. Like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. It's you yielding to the Holy Spirit. So we're going to pray. They're going to lay hands on you. And then you're going to lift your hands, start thanking God. And then those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to start praying in tongues. Because the Bible says that you are giving thanks when you pray in tongues. So we're going to start thanking God. And at that time, I want you to start speaking in tongues with us and just enter in and speak in tongues. And I know some of you are thinking, well, what do I do? I've got a book that will explain it, but here's the simple, the number one thing that hinders people. They think the Holy Spirit's going to force you to speak in tongues. That's not the way that it works. He doesn't force it. It's like when I preached tonight, God did not take my mouth and make me talk. I spoke, but I believe God inspired it. When you speak in tongues, it says in Acts 2, 4, they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. He inspires you and you do the speaking and by faith believe the Holy Spirit's inspiring it. And so you're going to have to speak.
You're going to have to start making sounds. Believe that God is the one inspiring it and he will inspire it. And after you get over the initial shock of it, you'll find out it builds you up. It's a powerful tool and this book will explain a lot more and I guarantee you it'll help you, okay? So that's what we're going to do. Y'all ready? We just keep having people sneak down here, amen? We're glad that you're here, but... Glad that you came. All right, are y'all ready? This is what we're going to do. And I believe that God is going to come and fill you and you are going to start speaking in tongues. The Bible says believers, <coughs> excuse me, believers will speak in tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer, I'm a believer. and I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. And right now we just believe, Father, that we're all born again. According to your word, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we open up the doors of our temple and Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come into our life. Holy Spirit, just come in and fill us right now with your power. We receive this in the mighty name of Jesus. We lay hands on you right now and release this power and say, Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit. Father, we loose this power into every one of their lives right now to fill them, to give them power to overcome, to give them the gifts of the Holy Spirit, this gift of speaking in tongues. We welcome it into these lives right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want you to lift your hands. Start thanking God for giving you the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that your word is true. If we'll give good gifts to our children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We've asked and we believe that we receive right now. Thank you for filling me with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, from this time forth, I am God-possessed. That I have your power and your anointing, your gifts, the ability to speak in tongues. Thank you that you'll never leave me nor forsake me. Thank you, Jesus. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's just begin to worship the Lord and pray in tongues right now. Just start speaking in tongues. Don't do it real loud so that you dominate, but just speak in tongues so that they won't feel like we're listening to them. And as we speak in tongues, you join in with us. Just begin to speak out loud. Talk out loud. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying. But your tongue will be unique to you. It's not going to be the same as somebody else's. But you got to make sense. You got to talk. And once you start talking, don't quit. Just keep talking. Just keep speaking. And it doesn't matter what it sounds like. When a little child starts speaking, it doesn't really sound like English, but the parent knows what that child's saying. Your heavenly father is listening to your heart. You're talking to God out of your heart, not out of your mind. And these words are bypassing the doubt and the unbelief that's in your mind. And you're speaking straight out of your spirit to God. Thank you, Jesus. Just be bold and speak out right now. Let's everybody worship the Lord in this gift of tongues. Thank you, Father. The Bible says when you're praying in tongues, you're giving thanks well.
Doroshahandi kidalamam bronde la pamako e shikatalava rotoloma. Brende de kamamro solo nombamro antikeribi hentarabatoma. Just speak out right now. Thank you, Father. Father, thank you for this power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving everyone, every single one, this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. You know, some of you, I couldn't tell, but some of you may not have spoken in tongues right now, but the Bible promises that he, the Holy Spirit, God gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. The first time I prayed and asked for the gift of speaking in tongues, I didn't speak in tongues, but that's because I was a Baptist and I had been taught that it was of the devil and I was afraid of what would happen. And anyway, my fear limited what God could do. And it took me three years before I spoke in tongues. But praise God, I finally got my questions answered. And now I speak in tongues often. And I've written all of this in a book. And I'd like to give every one of you a book that will fully explain what's happened to you. You've got to understand to be able to get the full impact of this. Some of you may not have felt a thing, but you know what? This is the second most important thing that could ever happen in your life. Being born again first, being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and this gift of tongues is the second most important thing that will ever happen in your life. And so I promise you, God right now has responded to your plea and to your prayer and you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, but you've got to understand it and learn how to cooperate with it. And this book will really, really help you. So I'd like to give it to everyone as a gift. If you would, this is Robert right here in the center aisle with his Bible up. And if you would, they got a room right back here at the back of the auditorium. They'll take you back there and they'll give you this book and they'll pray with you and answer any questions that you have. So if you would, just go with him. This is our free gift to you. We want to be a blessing to you. They'll pray with you and help you and you can come right back. Amen. Praise the Lord. Man, that's awesome. I don't know the exact number, but I imagine we've had 120 or more people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Did you know on the day of Pentecost, that's how many they started with was 120. Man, we could have a Pentecost right here in Fort Worth, Texas. See some awesome things happen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Man, it's been awesome. Again, I want to thank all of you for coming. These are our prayer ministers and they're down here to pray with you. If you are ready to receive, we've got people here that want to pray with you and help you. And if you are one of those that stood and made a decision that you're going to start moving in the direction of what God has spoken to you, you know what? You could come down here and give specifics to these prayer ministers. They could pray with you and just help you to receive and get going. Maybe you need a word of wisdom or a prayer of agreement or something for you to be able to have the boldness to step out. That's what we're here for. So if you would, if you need prayer for anything, I'd like to encourage you to come forward right now and let one of our prayer ministers lay hands on you. 
and pray for you. If you want prayer, just get up out of your seat right now and come forward. And that's what these prayer ministers are for. And we want to help you to receive. The rest of you, remember that in the morning, I'll be here at Calvary Cathedral at 10 o'clock in the morning speaking. And also we have CDs and DVDs already duplicated of all five sessions that we've had here this weekend. And so please uh, take advantage of those, all of the other materials. Thank you for coming. God bless you. You're dismissed and we'll see you in the air or someplace. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed if you desire to be. Thank you, Jesus.